What do you think? About the whiskey. Oh. Tastes like cookies. Interesting. You got a rim? No, it's awesome. You grab that chair. Are you serious, Jim? We won't be able to get all... You want to maximize the amount of... Or minimize the amount of distance, bro. What are you learn, learn a book about sound engineering. Every time, every episode that we have, Connor sits his fat butt right in front of the mic. You're done. Right. <laughs> okay. Is this? Scoot back. Scoot back. All right. That's good. Back a little bit. Okay. If we had any indication from fans of what they liked about the show or if they liked it, period, I'm sure they would say it's the stuff I say. Or if there are fans, period. <laughs> or if there are fans. Or some people forgot that they subscribed and it just keeps downloading. It works for me. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Well, I have a pretty monster grace to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First off, and there's something else we can talk about if we if we get to it, but let's see where this goes. So. Yesterday was the feast day of St. Therese, mm-hmm. October 1st, and uh, honestly, like I have, I've said this a lot, especially lately, but have never felt <clears throat> as close to a saint as to her, mm-hmm. of just like her, like coming to find me and just, it, it, like giving me the gospel from her place in heaven, like saving my soul. And so, as of late, especially after this summer and just like a renewed prayer life, have had this like relationship with God like changed pretty pretty drastically to where God is just like my dad and just loves me and he's on my side all the time and uh, and so I've gone from that you know honestly especially a few years ago I was very much in my spiritual life was very much of the attitude that you have to just like man up and get it done you know like yeah you want to pray and like Jesus loves you that's all true and uh but like he put you on this earth for a reason so like you need to get the job done for him and so that has like slowly and just through time and um prayer and direction and everything has has started to shift in seminary and then radically shifted this summer with this realization it's like no you don't have to do anything like all you have to do is just let jesus love you and like that changes everything and he'll you know he'll take care of it and um so i've been praying about that a lot and it's just kind of this new in a sense like it's summed up in saint Teresa's little way like little way of trust and confidence and love and so i've been praying about that lately and just like the freedom it's brought to my life and my prayer life and just like the freedom it's put in my heart um and so lately though i've been just like old things, I think oftentimes creep up in our in our spiritual life, and I've been like having this like pull to to kind of go back to the old way to like try to you know maybe God wants to like do everything for me in this aspect, but like He wants me to kind of man up in these aspects, you know. Man, and up, so, man up meaning just man try up, harder. Try harder, yeah. <clears throat> try harder, like get the job done. You mm-hmm. need to. You need to do this. Like, look at all these gifts I've given you. <clears throat> Discipline. Now you need to produce. You right. know, and you need to grow in virtue. And it was just, it was something like I wasn't able to really articulate until probably like a week ago. But it was just, it was just creeping back in slowly. 
And so as I was praying through it, I just asked, I was like, you know, Lord, like, I'm going to reject that because I know it's not true. But um, it was almost like subconsciously came up, like, just give me a sign that, like, I'm on the right path, that, like, you're pleased with me going down this way of trust and love, you know? And so I, that was just kind of on my heart, you know, a week or so. And two days ago, so the day before um, St. Therese's Feast Day, Austin has a first-class relic of St. Therese. And I was going to ask him, I had this desire to see if he would let me borrow it and just, like, have it on me for my holy hour in the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was just going to, I knew this seminarian that he had a relic of someone he had a big devotion to. I can't remember who it was. But he would wear it, like, very close to his heart, especially when he prayed. So I was just going to take this relic of St. Therese and put it in my shirt pocket and, like, have her close to my heart. And I forgot the day before um, to ask him. And then that we were on, it was like a morning of silence here for morning of prayer. And uh, so I was walking to the chapel, and I was like, oh, no big deal. Like, you know, it's going to be a great day. Like, obviously, St. Therese is, is praying for me and don't need a relic, like, close to my heart to, to know that, you know. And uh, so I really didn't think anything else of it. And then at lunch, I'm in the lunch line, and Irv comes in, and I'm standing by Father Barron, and Irv's like, hey, I have to show you guys something. And he pulls out of his pocket, he pulls out a first-class relic of St. Therese, and it's a few strands of her hair that the Carmel in Lazoo had sent him like 10 years ago. And so he let me like say a prayer with it and hold it and stuff, which was just like awesome. I mean, it made my like made my day you know it's like earth thank you so much you know i have a huge devotion to her and blah blah blah, and that's awesome so he's like yeah so anyway i get my lunch and go over and sit down and he ends up coming to sit by me and at like a minute into the conversation uh the just the lunch table he uh i was like hey man thanks again for letting me see that relic like that was really sweet you know and he pulls it out of his pocket and he sticks it literally like just no prompting from me he sticks it in my shirt pocket, my front shirt pocket, and he goes, I think St. Therese wants to be close to your heart today. And he just let wow. me, he just let me, like, sit with it for, for lunch. So I just had, had this row, like, a few strands of her hair, like, right by, right by my heart. And so for me, man, it was, like, major consolation and just, like, confirmation that, yep, this is, like, this is the path that, that God the Father wants you on, is this, like, very little way trusting and loving in his like in his love and care for you and so i think we get those moments now and then but it was pretty sweet so i wanted to share that's awesome that is super cool yeah by the way i am still on the will it make it happen (laughs) that is it right now so that's hard man it's and it's easy for me to uh be understanding with other people and even to some extent like uh, have a little have a little patience for people who are have that attitude with themselves you know uh, if they come for counsel or if they're wait who have the attitude that I have yeah but I still see it in myself you know it's weird it's like you're telling everybody else hey you know uh, God loves you no matter what don't worry about it and you know or in confession trying to communicate that to people but then getting on myself, you know, if I stupidly waste time on the internet or, you know, sleep in or, you know, it's just like, then I feel bad about myself. Mm-hmm. You're thinking like, I should be better than this. I, 
come on, I'm a Catholic priest, you know. I should be the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should be, be well Earn it! Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but I had a cool grace the other, other night. I gave a, a talk in Spanish at a uh, friend's parish <clears throat> for these couples who were getting married uh, after many years of living as husband and wife, but never uh, married in the church. And so they went through this year-long program of marriage prep uh, to get their marriages blessed in the church, and they're all <clears throat> there are three couples from Mexico and one from Guatemala. And I gave a talk on confession, and uh, that went pretty well considering it was all in Spanish and it was two hours. And uh, one of the ladies at one point asked about you know like going to communion and stuff, and you know when she was growing up, you don't you don't go to communion unless you're like recently confessed, you know mm -hmm. that. Um, and she, she even said something like, I, I don't know, she, she spoke super fast in Spanish, and I didn't, I thought I caught it all, and it sounded like she was saying, a friend of hers goes to communion every week, and she doesn't think that that's right, and she doesn't go to confession enough to be going to communion every week, and mm. I just went into this whole thing, like, about the Sacred Heart, and um, that at the center of, uh, I got this from Scott, but at the center of... Um, humanity's greatest sin, you know, deicide, that we killed God. Mm -hmm. He came only to heal and love and share the good news. Uh, and it's humanity at our worst, that we tortured, killed, betrayed him, abandoned him. Uh, and we all have responsibility for that, you know, that we see ourselves in that. Mm -hmm. But that at the center of the cross is this heart, which uh, is pierced and... Uh, pours out mercy, infinite mercy. You know, the, his last words, uh, some of his last words were, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, that, that he makes excuses for us and that God's on our side. And I just, I got real fired up and I'm like speaking in Spanish and I think the, the Holy Spirit comes down in tongues for me to speak Spanish. <laughs> uh, and uh, anyways, I, I just heard myself kind of preaching to myself as well. And when I got back, you know, this long day of, work and driving and doing this talk, preparing it, giving it, and I sat down just to pray night prayer in my bed, and I saw these photos of myself that I have, I'm actually, maybe it's a little egotistical to have photos of yourself and your, instead of your family or friends, but... <laughs> that huge I have one, one over your bed of just you is weird. Yeah, yeah leaning, so. like, I'm doing like a, I'm like laying on a old school long sofa. Yeah, it's too far. Whoever yeah. painted it did a great job. I paid thousands of dollars for that. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> yeah. No, I just had like one of me on a mountain when I was fighting fires, one of me with a bunch of kids in El Salvador, one of me that a lady took at the parish I was a seminarian at when I played Jesus in the Via Crucis, and it's got a bunch of parishioners, and I'm dressed up, and um, oh, just yeah. things like parts of my life that I want to remember, you know, and... Uh, it sounded corny even at the time that as I was thinking it, but I was like, these are pictures of God's son. You know, like God would have, God would see in these pictures his son. Simple thing. Like people have pictures of their son in their office table or whatever, you mm -hmm. know. And just that thought of making it a little bit more concrete, you know, instead of the abstract language, like we're sons and daughters of God and whatever that means. But like a little expression like that, like that a father would be proud of his son, that, oh, my, fa my son fought fires, and my son did this in El Salvador, and went out of his comfort zone, and he's, you know, 
and those were things I did, but in a way it was more just like the identity aspect of it. And I felt very at peace, even though I knew it was late and I was going to feel crummy in the morning if I got up early, but ended up sleeping in and I just felt like totally at peace um, for that time. And that's where I want to live, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't want to live in this, you know, rat race. That's that's what's nice about being Christian is that it's not <clears throat> anymore about, it's not, and this is not laxism. We're not saying just forget about it, man. Do whatever you want. Love and do what you will, man. It means like you don't have to worry about sin. It's like God hates sin because what sin is is turning away from him and, and denying that, denying, denying him the privilege that he wants to love us, you and, know. But God hates sin because it, he knows it hurts us. Right. I think that's a very key point. It's not some, like, abstract, like, you broke the rule and that pisses me off, mm-hmm. you know, God. It's that he sees that's like, here's his son or his daughter that yeah. he loves, and this thing hurts him. Even if it's self-inflicted, Yeah. like, he hates that sin. But, mm-hmm. he, you know, that's, obviously, we you know, he never hates the, the person. But I just think that's a really important, like, thing to remember. And another thing. I could just see God opening up his wallet and, like, having a picture of Connor dressed up as Jesus. It's <laughs> like, this is my son dressed up like my other son. <laughs> you probably know my other son a little bit better, but he tried his best He's here. He's much, <laughs> much more famous. Yeah. He's not a redhead either, so that's a little embarrassing. True. Well, still, still working on it. Um... Because that is the that is the main effort is even even as we strive towards like detachment. You look at the early Christian communities where it was just Jesus is it. That means we can't love anything except for Jesus. And like the whole idea of manichaeism comes in um, with the idea of fallen humanity, fallen creation, and stuff like that. It's it's not good enough. All we want is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is not to just detach from things. Like mean, that's you not mean, the end. You mean like deny the body, deny right, right. worldly goods in right. favor of spiritual goods creation, exclusively. Which is kind of the Protestant understanding of creation is everything is fallen. Corrupted. It's not good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're saying Corrupted. the point is not to give up stuff. The point, the point is not point to is give up stuff. Right. Yeah. It's no good to just detach from things mm-hmm. and then just be a floating like, oh, now I have nothing to worry about. Oh. No, you let go of things so you can grab on or be grabbed by something else. Mm-hmm. Like you detach from those things so that you can be attached and to And then you can thing. enjoy things more. Right. I think. You know, it's funny. We were uh, um so Tom Byrne invited me, Scott, and Sister Kate to play music with him at his parish fest, which his parish is massive. Um, how many tons, folks? Gosh, I don't know. Thousands of families. Thousands? And the the school has like, I don't know, 800 or more kids. <clears throat> I'm lowballing it. Okay. It's huge. Um, and they had this big fest, and I'm driving up to it, and I knew, first of all, I knew this gig was going to stink, because we all play acoustic instruments, and I, I see, like, there's just, like, a It's Great America is set up in their parking lot. <laughs> what they is had, that? They had Carney, uh, that's the Six Flags here. Great America? Great America, yeah. Okay. So I'm saying there's rides, large rides. I saw one as Wait, I was driving there from... a parking lot? Yeah, dude, it was a carnival. <laughs> but there were fancy rides. And then tents, food tents and right. beer tents and right. everything. Um, 
So the ride I see from way off while I'm still driving like three blocks away is this thing. It's like 150 feet tall. It was called Freak Out. That uh, it's got like five, four or five sides, and it spins. And there's like bench seat kind of things that you lock into, and it's spinning while it's swinging like a pendulum Ooh. all the way to like past oh, yeah. horizontal. Yeah. Mm. And it's spinning, and it it just looks insane. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you see these kids that are like 8 to 12 years old on this thing. So I'm like, nobody's going to be digging our Mumford & Son covers and, you know, Seabisk Originals <laughs> in the in the food tent. So the only people there were like Burns' parents. and <laughs> But it was fine, you know. In, in a way, it was like, I don't need this to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I'm going to do my best, but... And the sound was terrible. The generator was running, so it was like... <laughs> and everything was feeding back and uh but it was just fun to be with the those people you know yeah, and yeah. play music and uh burns dad was like hey you guys want something to eat you know uh you guys want the you want the pork meal or the or the lamb meal and i was like can i just get a hot dog he's like no you're gonna get the huge right. amount of food <laughs> and he bought us all a beer mm-hmm. so uh you know it's like early afternoon i've just packed away quarter backside of a pig, a bunch of coleslaw and potatoes, and a uh, Budweiser. Yeah, America, dude. And, and then they're all going to go leave, you know? And I just said to Sister Kate, I'm like, hey, sister, do you want to go on a ride? She's like, oh, sure. <laughs> and then I said to Scott, do you want to go? And he's like, no, no, no. And I thought to myself, um, I think he wants to, but he just needs to be peer pressured. Yeah, definitely. So I, I put on my whole like old high school hat and goggles and peer pressured him. Nice. And got him to. I paid like I just jammed twenty bucks in the ticket machine. Yep. Which was just enough to get us all on this ride, the freak out. <laughs> and there we were in line, with like eight year old girls and two priests and clerics and a habited <laughs> habited nun, and we're giddy. And I was like, Scott's scared. I could tell he was really nervous because he was, you know, like making a lot of jokes that didn't make any sense. And, uh, oh, yeah. And so I uh, said to one of the girls that was in front of us, like, are you, are you guys scared? And this one girl goes, no. And she, her friend was like, I am. She's making me do this. And so Sister Kate's joking around with them. And we get on this ride. And... It just starts going, and immediately, all three of us are laughing our heads off. And totally oblivious, like, if anybody cared that two priests and a nun are riding this kid's ride. But it was insane. And as it got to the top, you're, like, free fall at the apex of the swing. And then there's, like, seven Gs as you're going down to the bottom. And you're, like, and then at the top again, you're, like, Oh, man, it was really a good time. And we all left feeling, like, really light, you know, yeah. and just, like, life, man. It's, in a way, it's just to be enjoyed. Like, without that stuff, life is a burden, you know? Yeah. Your whole thing about Babette's Feast, you know, getting getting to the, the point of life is not to just be bummed out all the time, yep. you know? Like, yeah, the world, there's some really bad stuff, and you should let that suffering in your heart, especially if you're swaddled in privilege like a lot of us are. To know that there are people starving and um, being persecuted and killed and all the bad things that are happening in the world. But God doesn't want us to be all bummed out, you know. 
and yeah. you carry that in your heart and you love people but um, if we can't be joyful then you've lost the initiative you know mm-hmm. and in a, and that joy is a free gift that's the thing it doesn't cost any, it's not like that was my big grace from the 30-day retreat mm-hmm. at the end of that uh, reading the prodigal son I was watching the sunrise and it was the third it was the 29th day mm-hmm. of the retreat super tempted to mail it in and I might have talked about this before but as I was reading the part in the parable about um, the prodigal son coming back <coughs> and the and the father sees him off in the distance and as he's like you know crowning the hill and the father can finally see him it says something like his heart was moved you know and he ran out to him and just as I was reading that part, which was the affective movement that, like, I really focused in on this line. Yeah. So I hit by it. That the, the father was moved so much with joy to see his son return. The son came out like a freaking ball of fire mm-hmm. in this beautiful sunrise where there was just these clouds that looked like flames. And it felt like straight into my heart, you know? One of those subjective experiences of God and his love. And... It was, imme- it was just like this communion, you know, of an experience of the risen Christ. Um, yeah. And because the whole, the whole trajectory of that retreat is, is the death of mm-hmm. Christ um, and then the resurrection. And you're meditating on the life of, of Christ. Um, and that was the resurrection I was, I was meditating on, but it, through the prodigal son. And the thing that I wrote in my journal afterwards, the only thing I, I really wrote was my happiness doesn't depend on me feeling good about myself. Um, it just depends on God's goodness. Seeing how good God is and delighting in that. But that and it sounds so simple, but it's like a quantum leap, you know? Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of Christians out there and God knows a lot of people who don't have, believe in anything or believe in some political system or some sports team where they're they're happiness is totally depending on feeling good about themselves like feeling like I'm a good person or I've I've accomplished a lot or my team won you know it's dependent on results and uh, a lot of times like the whole the onus is on you to make your life kick butt you know Mm -hmm. but um, you know the Saints are like and Ignatius who's the author of that 30-day retreat it's like man you don't when when you're in communion with God, you don't prefer sick, you don't prefer health to sickness. You don't prefer riches to poverty, mm-hmm. because it's all gravy, man. Yeah, it is. And it, even going back to where you talked about that that joy that we're called to have about the world. That's something that you know the the fact that um, like there is so much suffering in the world and just radical suffering that. You know, growing up in a loving family in Central Illinois, like I've never even like fathomed. You know, and uh, but to realize that like God is big enough to um, to have that, and also like want to hear about my little worries and my little cares. You know, is it's really profound to experience that type of love. That was one of the huge insights for me. Um, read it when I read the Narnia series actually we were talking a little bit about last time I think it's in The Horse and His Boy and the one of the, the kids in this book has to escape mm-hmm. and to do that I think it's the girl 
she has to either drug or like tie or something like that. She has to sneak out from the girl. Oh yeah, yeah. The slave girl that like watched over her pretty much. Mm-hmm. And at one point in the book, she's attacked by a lion, and the lion like scratches her back. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't really come then to an explanation until the end of the book, and it turns out that it was Aslan mm-hmm. that that scratched her back like that. And so they're they're talking at the end of the book, like in the experience of love between her and you know this great lion, and uh, she he tells her no that was me, and he was like the the lashes that you received on your back were the exact like ones that this other girl yeah. like through your sin in a mm-hmm. sense received uh, from you escaping, and she was like oh well like what happened to her did they kill her you know. Did they kill her? Did they continue to beat her or whatever? And it was just like this super simple answer that stuck with me. And Aslan was just, all he said was, that's for her to know. That's her story. That's I her only story. tell people their own story. That's her story. You only get to know your own And he own said that story. to the boy, too. Did he? Okay, I remember it like in this context. But because uh, earlier the boy was like, oh, you were the lion that was chasing us so that we would run faster to get away from the bad guys and, and all this stuff. And he's like, well, why did you scratch... Aravis and, yeah. and and he's like oh that's her story mm-hmm. I only tell people their own story and then later he tells her and she's mm-hmm. wondering and that's the temp- that's such a temptation for us like um, because we can make sense of our own suffering if we're honest you know mm-hmm. and, and asking God and relating those things to God um, you know the gospel the, the second reading this Sunday I prepare my homily was uh, is St. Paul saying uh it's the, the peace that passes all understanding. Mm-hmm. He's saying, the, before he says that, he says, um, you know, ask, for, ask God for things, you know, demand them of him, and you will receive the peace that passes all understanding. And, and you, can, you can ask God, why do I feel this way, you know? Yeah. Why, do, why does that person bug me so much, you know? Um, and this is, this is a, li- a little bit what we're talking about, like with the effort, like just grit and bear it, you mm-hmm. know? Like, oh my gosh, every morning this person sits behind me in a mass and they clear their throat like 40,000 times a minute and it's bugging the crap out of me. So, uh, oh man, I guess I'm just not patient enough. So, uh, just be super patient. And then you get more and more mad at yourself and feel guilty. You just summed up my spiritual life, by the way. Instead, <laughs> instead of relating it to God, you know? Yeah. Um, and I remember one time in a silent retreat, I was, I was super annoyed with somebody who kept clearing their throat or something. Mm-hmm. Some, making some noise with their face and I just started I related it all to God and I I literally f- like received it as lashings on my back because he was behind me <laughs> I just imagined it like that you know mm-hmm. and th- it became a consolation you yeah. know yeah um, and that's that's what uh, you know you can read the Aslan story and say like oh well it's just it's just strict justice you know well, you caused her to get whipped and so I have to scratch your back because I'm God and everything's got to, you know, yeah. even out the scales. Yeah. But in a way it was like, well, she, she, knowing that, preferred to have suffered, to Absolutely. do something, uh, receive something as an act of love for the person that she offended. You mm-hmm. know? Um, but two, two things are important with that. It's like the fellow behind you who's making those noises and you're taking them as the lashings. 
or whatnot. It's pretty dramatic, but yeah. <laughs> well, right, but like that's totally. <laughs> I'm tied to a pillar. <laughs> As you clear your throat. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the desire. Is I'm like, sure the guy was just like. Probably <clears throat> <laughs> thinking this Connor guy is so annoying right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Stupid big head in the way. <laughs> I have that thought frequently. I do too. Um, that my head is big. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Figured it out. Literally. Well, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And here, down.